Team Workouts Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This is where we try and uh, go behind the thoughts that animate the actions that make the arts. And uh, today uh, we've got someone who's got a very interesting trajectory to uh, to uh, what she decided to do uh, as as a profession. Pragya Tiwari, uh, thank you very much for joining us, ma'am. Thank you, thank uh, you, Sartak. And please don't no, don't ma'am me. <laughs> Let's not, let's, not, let's not get off to a wrong start. No, no, okay. <laughs> Pragya it is then? Pragya it is. Uh, brilliant. Um, uh, the, the editor-in-chief of Vice India, yes. um, association with the, with a name that was at one point of time synonymous with the, uh, with brave journalism, which was the Helka. Um, and now, of course, the Indian History Collective. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and of course, I could go on and on, but then uh, that would take till evening. So, mm. let's just say that uh, for, for a profession that uh, now has become, it's become fashionable to pillory the profession, but yeah. you seem to have uh, stuck on sometimes probably with the fingernails. What is... Uh, what has made this uh, love with journalism endure? You know, it's 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 odd. I started off as a lawyer. I did three degrees yeah. in law. I did uh, another degree in policy. I always saw myself as a lawyer. I started writing on the side and before I knew it, I was uh, so in love with journalism that I couldn't think of doing anything else. Threw up an actually lucrative career in law where I could have made real money <laughs> and uh, took up journalism, was part of it in for 15 years. Wouldn't trade those 15 years for anything, frankly. Um, it, the, uh, the profession is pilloried for all the right reasons. In fact, mm -hmm. I, I have nothing redemptive to say about my profession anymore, <laughs> sadly. But, you know, the exposure it gives you, the, the travel, the kinds of people you meet, there's just absolutely no other way to experience that. Not as a tourist, not as any, anything else and in any other profession. Having said that, in 2020, I did decide to finally hang up my boots as a journalist. I do still write, but I moved to running a company which is a more communications-oriented company. And that was a very, very hard decision I did not know whether I'd be able to stick with it but I have stuck with it and I'm the happier for it and I realized that now I can only love journalism from the outside <laughs> uh, there were many words that were unspoken but which were louder yes, than what you said, I, I hope so is, I'm glad you heard them <laughs> that's uh, that's important and I think uh, hearing and listening is uh, uh, you know, so integral to what you've been doing. I think uh, as a lawyer, it's important to listen. As a journalist, it's primordial to listen. Yes. And uh, even as a communication professional, it's important to listen. Somebody uh, who I know uh, uh, said something very interesting. He said, uh, we are increasingly living in an age where uh, we're not listening anymore. We're waiting. You seem to have put a lot of import importance to listening. Do you think that space is, uh, is shrinking now? You know, it's funny you ask this question because it's a, it's a great question. That's a great quote. But also listening is what made me a journalist. So I'll uh, hark back to when I was a lawyer. I was, and you might not be able to tell now, given you know the way my life has gone, but I was an extremely shy person. I was a very introverted person. And I used to always, I used to love journalism, but I used to feel like reportage is not something I can do. I had a couple of columns with the Hindu, with Mumbai Mirror, etc. But I was like, you know, writing opinion is fine, but reportage is not something I would be able to do because I cannot just walk up to strangers and talk to them. I'm hmm. terribly, terribly shy. And then I read this interview of Joan Didion where she talked about how she was introverted and she was shy. And what she realized was that when she went to interview people, because she had no urge to talk, People spoke to fill up the silence and she got much more out of her subjects than most other journalists did. And I took that cue and it worked like magic. You just, and particularly in India, people love telling stories. Yeah. We love to tell stories. You just have to pull up a chair and sit down and, you know, mean that you'd listen and you'll have gold. I also think that uh, uh, that ideas are also something that, uh, that would 
ideally have fascinated you with the with the career trajectory that you've seen. Uh, ideas are also increasingly uh, becoming subservient to an agenda, uh, sometimes being weaponized as well. Uh, how, how are you treating ideas currently? So that is where Indian History Collective comes in because uh, the like you said, the sort of way, reductive way in which we are approaching ideas, the labeling of ideas even before they've been fully formed. I mean, the minute I start thinking a thought, I'm already slotted into um, one camp or another, one silo or another. And I think that was really getting to me. And my way of kind of uh, dealing with that ended up being going back into history to see where we were coming from and reading some of the most rich debates that were happening that were at the sort of grassroots of what we became what we were to become as a country as a republic as a nation as a people and of course world over i'm not just talking specifically uh, and and history had also become political sort of um, battleground right and that's where indian history collective came in we were like you know i am privileged enough to be able to access books i grew up in a household full of books i grew up in calcutta i also come from a you know upper middle class you know, upper caste family. So obviously I have access to books and education, but we are going on lamenting sort of fake news and the WhatsApp universities and all of those things without really asking ourselves who is making books and original material available for people to read. And that's where Indian History Collective comes in. Frankly, it's a refuge for me to be able to go back into history and um, dive into the genesis of so many ideas that are fundamental to how we live and think about ourselves sure. today. But in fact, I, I also think that there's a lot to do with the fact that the the line between information and knowledge is increasingly blurred. Information is passive; it's everywhere. Knowledge has to be an active pursuit by its definition, does it not? And um, more people are flaunting information as knowledge, and and because of that, probably the domain of knowledge is shrinking a little. Would you agree? I think knowledge. I think information today is is like a cancer, and I use that. I, I use that. I use that analogy extremely. You know, sort of. Uh, I'm very cognizant of what I'm saying because it is like your own cells sort of eating up the space for knowledge, for thought, for reflection, for introspection, because we're just flooding ourselves with information. And I have had such a strong reaction to it. I mean, and it's the wrong time because I run a company, which is a communications company, so I have to be online. I have to be abreast of everything that's really happening. But I have developed quite the aversion to information. I mean, I've gone back to books with a vengeance, I have to say. And the, the thicker the book, the better for me. <laughs> also, uh, the or and the and, increasing, increasingly we're becoming a society of the ors. You have mm -hmm. to be this or that. You cannot be this and that uh, by definition. And uh, that, in my mind, would probably not be conducive to art because it has to be a little all-inclusive. You also think that uh, uh, that the sphere of art, considering you've, you've also written and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, the way that you express yourself necessarily needs to be a little artistic in the way uh, people would absorb it. Do you think uh, uh, that is a little bit of a threat to, uh, to the arts themselves? I think it's a threat to life. I mean, not just the arts. I think this multi-hyphenated existence is the only really good way to experience life. I mean, the reason why I have gone from profession to profession is because each profession beyond the perks it gives me immediately in terms of maybe a career trajectory or a paycheck or whatever, it gives me a way to experience life that's from a very unique vantage point. And I am greedy for that. I'm hungry for that. And it would be extremely unfortunate if we stopped living multi-hyphenated lives, whether it is in the way we approach our profession or personal life or and of course, that's increasingly, I mean, I 
this happens to me. I'm cancelled every second day for, um, <laughs> you know, for for one or the other thing. So I I am uh, very cognizant of how that plays out, but I, I intend to resist it until my dying day. <laughs> which was going to be my next question. So this seems to be an obvious corollary, which is that. Have you ever been uh, tempted by the thought of uh, of second guessing the material that you put out uh, as your own with 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 the name with your name being attached to it? Have you ever second guessed ideas because of what's going on around you? Not when I'm writing for publication, but on Twitter, yes, I have I have started to second guess. I would say my uh, output on Twitter has been reduced by seventy five or eighty percent. I don't see the point anymore. I. Um, I mean, I, I'm embarrassed to say it because there are much braver people than myself who continue to to take on the onslaught that comes with speaking your mind. But I just, I have begun to feel like the onus cannot simply be on me. The onus has to be on the policymakers, on social media companies, etc., and on society on the whole. It cannot just be my courage that uh, that 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 is called to question every single day. No, I'm done. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, there is after all safety numbers. And yes, we yes, need the yes, numbers. yes, yes. And, and talking numbers. Uh, uh, you know, there, there are people who want to write well. I, I, I don't think the intent is the problem. I think uh, uh, I think the information slash knowledge is the problem about how to. Yeah. And since uh, what we're trying to do with the with the Team of Arts podcast is to uh, try and uh, uh, try and follow the process. What is your process when you're writing? I mean, is it that you gather information? Do you, uh, where does the academic uh, rigor and the creative chaos meet, so to speak, for for the way you write? Well, I have to say that if you're particularly writing nonfiction, and that's what really my realm is, so that's what I'm going to speak to, uh, reporting, reportage, research is key. Uh, you cannot, even if you're writing an opinion piece, it has to be based, it may not be visible because you might present your thoughts as, as your opinion, it may not be visible reportage as, as it might be when you are doing a maybe field report, etc. But it has to be underpinned by really solid reportage really solid research that's when you really have your material and typically we live now because of the digital media age we have uh, you know faster turnaround periods we have lesser deadlines but the way i used to approach journalism back in the day was that i would research the hell out of it to the point that i wouldn't have to i knew the subject so well that i wouldn't have to refer to my notes and when i sat down to write there was not one single statistic that i needed to go back and look into the exercise book for my notes that may not happen with tighter deadlines so report and, uh, reporting and re research are the, the key things and after that when you sit down to write what i try and do is throw away the information bit of it and tap into the emotion of what i'm trying to say what i've just experienced while reporting it while researching it and through that emotion come the turn comes the turn of phrase, so to speak. And of course, it comes from reading and reading and reading and reading greats like John Didion, who I talked about earlier. So I think that is my, in short, my mantra. But um, I mean, I, I'm loath to quote Hemingway, but really the process really is you, you know, you sit in front of a laptop, uh, you set paper, and you bleed. I mean, it's really just that. that. That's what actually yeah, what yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's painful. You know, uh, with you, that takes on a little. <laughs> That quote takes on a little bit of a literal <laughs> meaning as well, in, in a sense. Um, uh, but um, uh, uh, it, it's very clear that the shoulders seem to slouch from time to time with, yeah. the, with the weight that you yeah. carry. Yeah. Uh, but um, uh, but is the motivation to uh, to carry that weight onto other uh, spheres? Of course, is that still strong, or or is the give up uh, mentality approaching? faster than it should. No, no, it's it, It's very, very strong. It's stronger than ever. Uh, the means might change. I may not, I might 
take a breather and ask myself if this is the right platform or that's the right way. But I think the resolve is stronger than ever. And the fact that one is moving on from mediums that were once extremely familiar territory, that were comfort zones, in, is indicative of a stronger resolve. Because you're asking yourself, are you doing enough? Is this the best way to do it? And, and questions, hard questions like that. So no, the resolve is definitely there. Also, I think, uh, you know, with the with the advent of the social media and the 280 characters and the 30 second reels, uh, what we're missing out is the is the grime of the process for the glamour of the other side, the flip side of the coin. We see the seduction of success, but we don't see the, uh, the going through the muck in that way. Uh, for those who've been seduced by the glamour, um, would you like to tell them what the grime feels like? Oh, the grime feels heavy the grime feels like hard work the grime feels like mental health challenges the grime if you are a woman feels like um you know self-sabotage it feels like imposter syndrome it feels like all of those things but it is definitely worth it for the 30 seconds you see on my reels or anybody else's reels <laughs> with the right filter there's a lot behind that but it's worth it yeah and remember, there is a lot behind that, which is what we're trying to uh, show you right here and make you listen to right here on the Teamwork Arts podcast. Uh, Pragyatiwari, this has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, thank you very much for giving us uh, a peek into that mind that has, uh, uh, that has produced so much inspiration. And, and more importantly, uh, that, that little sliver of hope that we can all hold on to. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you, Sarthak. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and you were most kind. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank the Teamwork Arts podcast, ladies and gentlemen. That's Pragyatiwari. If you liked it, uh, remember, Remember to follow us on social media. You'll find us, Teamwork Arts Podcast. Simple, fine. And uh, what's coming up next? Well, for that, you'll just have to follow us on the social media. Thank you very much for listening.